If you'll join with me, today's scripture reading is from Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, good morning. Hey, I'm glad some of you made it back to town after Thanksgiving. I feel like half the crew last week told me that they wouldn't see me this week because they were staying somewhere else. Um, so I'm glad you're here, and I, I hope that this last week you had some rest. I hope you had some joy. I hope you saw some people that you love. I hope you didn't have too many awkward conversations or that you at least pushed through the awkward conversations. But I'm glad you're back. I hope you had a special week. And we are kicking off the Advent season. To me, it almost feels like whiplash. I feel like it was just summer, and then it's fall, and then it's like Thanksgiving, and now all of a sudden Christmas decorations are out. We got three trees behind me. The first candle is lit of the Advent season, and here we are talking about Christmas, singing Christmas songs soon, like Christmas songs are on the radio. My wife loves that, uh, Christmas music playing all the time from now until the end of the month. Christmas music in my house constantly. So we're going to start talking about this Christmas story, and I've been looking at this story again for a while, and I know most of us in this room have heard this story a million times. Like, we have heard this story so many times in our lives that it can just kind of become this very cute, adorable fairy tale. It's just so cute, and it's great, and it's fuzzy, and there's trees, right? And there's candles, and it's like, oh, this is such a great, fuzzy, feel-good story. This is a crazy story. I mean, this story is wild. And there are all kinds of dimensions to it. There are all kinds of things being thrown into this story. Political dimensions and spiritual dimensions and and there is violence, and there is bloodshed, and there is hope, and there are shepherds, and there are people fleeing for their lives. Like, this is a wild 
crazy, beautiful story. And it's the story that God has used to bring hope to us, to hope and salvation to, to us and to our world. So I'm going to give you one disclaimer as we start looking at the Christmas story this morning. And that is, I have given up trying to tie this sermon into a nice boat. Like when I was in preaching school, they were like, you give three points, and then you, ha- you say how it all means, and then you wrap it up, right, in one sentence that everyone can remember, and they all go home happy. Instead this morning, I was having this image, I was thinking about the story on the drive here and praying about it, and I had this image of a, of a puzzle. Have you ever seen like, like a really beautiful puzzle that you like? Maybe there's like mountains and a castle and a sky, and it's beautiful, and you see this beautiful picture, um, and so you have this picture, and you like throw it on the table, right, in a million pieces, and you start putting, you're like, this is, this is a cool castle, and this is a cool sky. You start putting it together, maybe over a week time, like at family's house, you put it together. So this sermon is, I hope, getting a glimpse at this beautiful, epic, wild, crazy story. And I hope that when you leave, that some part of you thinks, wow, that is an amazing story that God used to save all of us. And I want to keep thinking about that story. Like, that is a beautiful thing that God did, and, and I just want to, some, some of those things caught my attention, and I want to wrestle with those dimensions of the Christmas story over this next month, okay? But if you leave with all kinds of scattered ideas, like, oh my gosh, I just hope you leave with, wow, I want to keep wrestling with the story of Jesus, God, coming to a human form as a baby and being born in a manger in a little town, Okay, so I hope that you can get a little bit of the excitement and the joy and the intrepidation and the craziness of the story that that I feel inside of me right now. Would you pray with me? And then we're going to start talking about Advent and Christmas. God, thank you that you're good and thank you that you love us and that you care about us. And I know we all bring different pains, different hopes, different fears different anxieties with us this morning as we sit here in this space together. And I ask that you would remind us that you love us and that you are here with us and that we are going to be okay and that you have sent your son to save us. And there is hope. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. So the word advent um, is from the Latin adventus, which means a coming or an arrival, right? So we are waiting to celebrate Christmas. I think of my kids, like when they were younger, like they were waiting all month, like for that morning. Like they're waiting, they're anticipating Christmas morning and what's gonna be there under that tree. We are waiting for Christmas, waiting to look at the story of the birth of Christ, of Jesus, who is the true king, of Jesus, who announced the coming of the kingdom of God. So back a couple thousand years ago, God's people, the Israelites, they were waiting and they were hoping for God to do something. Waiting and hoping for God to do something. And I want to think back a couple thousand years ago to how they were waiting. The Israelite people, year after year after year, were waiting for God to send someone to save them. And things were not good for them. First, the Greeks took them over. And then the Romans took them over, and they had Caesar Augustus ruling over them. They had King Herod ruling over them. They had this guy Pilate 
ruling, and they were being oppressed, and they were being held down, and there were military officers walking through their fields and through their towns. There was violence in their midst, and they were waiting. Waiting and hoping for God to do something. For God to send someone to help them, someone to save them, someone to change that their reality that they were going through. And today, in different ways, but in similar ways, we are waiting and we are hoping. I have had so many conversations with you all, and in different parts of life, so many of us are waiting for God to do something and hoping that God will do something. In one part or another of your personal life or thinking about the world, we are waiting for God and hoping for God to do something. We are, we are waiting and hoping for God to bring healing and wholeness to, to our town and, and to our world and to our personal lives. Many of us are waiting and hoping for this pandemic thing to be over, right? Like so many of us are, can we just, like we're waiting and we're hoping. Can this thing go away? Like the sickness and the death and the masks and the arguments about all of it, like can that all pass away? Can we move on to the next season where we're waiting and we're hoping? We're waiting and hoping for a time when like everyone in our town has somewhere safe to live, right? Where, where there aren't people who have nowhere to live all over our town who live in tents. We're, we're waiting and we're hoping for something different, trusting that God can do that and God can use us to do that. We're waiting and hoping for God to help us make peace with all the humans around us. So many of us are waiting and hoping that God can help us have peace and reconciliation and unity with the other humans around us who have hurt us or who we have hurt or who we disagree with vehemently. Like we are waiting and hoping that God can put us back together relationally. We are waiting and hoping that God could put an end to gun violence that plagues our town and affects so many in our town. We are waiting and hoping that we can live in a world, in a town where, where poverty goes away and oppression goes away and racism goes away. We are waiting and we're hoping, like in the Lord's Prayer, that God's kingdom may come and God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are waiting and we are, we are hoping that God can come and do something. So this morning, we kick off this Advent season, and for some of us, it feels like society has been in an upheaval, politically, socially, religiously, like an upheaval. And I want to point out in a, in a real visceral way what these folks were going through a couple thousand years ago as they waited for God to come. The Israelite people were really a fairly small nation state in the middle of huge empires. So for hundreds of years, they had like Solomon and David and this big kingdom they had was way back in the rearview mirror. But for them, all they knew for generations was we are getting our butt kicked by one empire after another. And we're being shipped off or enslaved or oppressed and one military after another just kind of beats us around. And at this time now, it was the Roman Empire. They were running things for Israel. And I want to give you a glimpse into this. And as I've probably gone overboard reading history about the time period, it's very much rated R. Like, it is not a children's story, what was happening to the Israelites as they were waiting for Jesus. It's very much like a rated R or rated X kind of a thing, what they were going through, as they were literally physically yearning and praying for God to do something 
for them. Luke 2.1 talks about this character, Emperor Augustus. Luke 2.1, in those days a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. Having everyone register was a power play by the emperor. And if, even if you don't know the Bible, you've probably heard of Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, like a pretty serious ruler in history. And he had a power play. Let's make everyone go back somewhere and I, so I can count all these people who I rule. Caesar Augustus really thought he was a big deal. And he kind of was. But I want to point out how the Roman Empire of the day even used language that we now, if we read the Bible, we have these certain language around who Jesus is and Jesus coming. Caesar was using the same language to say how important Caesar was. Okay, So I want to read this thing, and it was found on the side of a government building in 6 BC, and it's basically talking about Caesar. This is right before Jesus was born, right in this era, and, and this was actually... Um, etched into the side of a building, okay? And this is what it said. It said, The most divine Caesar we should consider equal to the beginning of all things. For when everything was falling into disorder and tending toward dissolution, he restored it once more and gave the whole world a new aura. Caesar, the common good fortune of all, the beginning of life and vitality, all cities unanimously adopt the birthday of the divine Caesar as the new beginning of the year. Whereas the providence which has regulated our whole existence has brought our life to the climax of perfection in giving to us the Emperor August, who being sent to us, can you see some of the, some of the words here? Who being sent to us and our descendants as Savior has put an end to war and has set all things in order and having become God manifest, Caesar has fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times. The birthday of the God Augustus has been for the whole world the beginning of good news concerning him. Does any of this sound familiar? A little bit? Right? We're talking about he's God, he's divine, he has a kingdom, he has an empire, his birthday is sacred, he's the savior, he'll put an end to war, he's the beginning of all things, and he even has a good news or a gospel. It's the same word for good news or gospel in our Bibles. So the Roman Empire is saying, Caesar is it. He's the savior. And all you little countries understand Caesar rules all, Caesar is all, he's the savior, we bow to him, he has the good news that'll bring everything together. So imagine being an Israelite under the Roman rule, reading these kinds of things in your midst about Caesar and the empire, and he's divine and he's the savior, while you are experiencing violence and oppression and pain, and suffering, and you're like, God, where are you? Where, where is the true God? Like, I'm still waiting. My parents waited, my grandparents waited, my great-grandparents waited for God to do something. And then Caesar put someone named Herod in charge of the Jews. He said, you're going to be the king, and you're going to oversee the Jewish people here, okay? I'm Caesar. You can be the king and oversee these people over here. I don't want to deal with them. And this is Herod, Matthew 2.16. Then Herod, when he saw he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. So Herod like Caesar, 
was obsessed with his own power, right? He wanted more power and more power, and I could read you history stories for the next two or three hours about this Herod the Great who killed his sons, killed his wives, killed his favorite wife, killed anybody who ever whispered anything against him because he wanted to be king. He wanted more power. Empires like power. Leaders in empires like power, and they want more power, and they want more power, and they want more power by any means necessary. This is the backstory of the Christmas story. An empire full of violence, and a little baby comes as the king of the world in the midst of the Roman empire. N.T. Wright has this little quote. He said, Christmas has become cozy. Advent calls us to stay awake. There's something big going on here. And it was wild when it started. And the implications of Jesus are still wild and far-reaching today. And there are still empires today that just want power and that can cause us to be tempted to follow those empires today. Now, I really want to get into this historical implications, but I also want to say I don't want to guilt trip you by enjoying Christmas this week either. Just to clarify, I was reading these stories, um, and then yesterday I went to the Castro Valley Christmas tree farm with my family and another dear family we do life with, and we roamed the hillside in the sun, out in nature, out in God's creation, and it took us forever to find the right tree, and we argued and debated, and then we gave up and got tired, and then we like, rallied again, and got some caffeine, and we went again, and we, we found you know, our tree, and we cut it, and we put it on our you know, Honda Pilot and drove it back home. So I'm not saying don't enjoy some eggnog and a tree and don't get your kids' presents ever, but as we enter this season, I want to give us a glimpse of the real story, the real Christmas story and how it unfolded the historical reality of a king coming that threatened the power structure. So let's read this together, and I want to read a good chunk of Matthew 2. There's always a part of me when I read a long passage, it's, back, it's like PTSD from being a middle school director in a church. I'm afraid you're all going to fall asleep by verse 4 or start talking. So let's read a good chunk, and I'm going to trust that we can kind of focus in, and, and let's look at this story together again and talk about it for a few more minutes, okay? Matthew 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Do you see what they're saying to Herod? Where's the baby that was born who's the king of the Jews? Herod was the king of the Jews, or he thought he was. For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, And all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it's written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Herod was psycho and violent. He was also a brilliant military leader and power-hungry leader. 
as are many leaders today. Psycho, but also brilliant at getting what they want. So he's like, hey, wise men, hey, can you go figure it out for me and tell me, because I want to go worship this little baby king too. Can you tell me? After listening to the king, they went on their way. Behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. They saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This is one of the great phrases of the Christmas story. When people come across Jesus, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They knew something crazy was happening. Like, they knew something beautiful was happening. They knew something earth-shattering was happening. And they saw this baby, and they saw Mary, and they just fell down and worshipped. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I call my son. Maybe it's just you, but I swear I never heard this part of the story until I was like in college. Like they just left it out of years of Christian school my whole life, the part of, of the family fleeing to Egypt as immigrants to be saved. Then Herod, when he saw he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Herod could not handle the idea of anybody else being called king in a land that he wanted to rule with an iron fist. This horrific act is in, in history called the, the Massacre of the Innocents. When evil people have power, they don't like to give it up throughout history. People in power normally like to keep power and build power and rule other people. The, the empires of this world fight for power, often with violence, often with disregard for humanity, especially with disregard for the poor and lowly of society. And the Christmas story, again and again, including the shepherds, points out that God includes the lowly of society in the story. A young teenage mother, shepherds, poor shepherds out in a field, they are included in this story that God includes the poor, the lowly, the marginalized in the story. So we have the way of empire, the way of violence, the way of power, wealth by any means necessary, and then we have the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God that Jesus proclaimed offers a different way to be human with a king a king born as a little baby in the middle of nowhere, 
a king who comes to bring a new kingdom, a king who rules with love and grace and hope, a, a king who comes in and brings in an upside-down kind of kingdom. I mean, there's a shocking twist here that I think we're, we're used to. So there's this major plan, right? They're waiting for a savior, that they're waiting for a revolution, that they're waiting for a king to come and save them. Herod is worked up about it, killing babies. And what happens is a little tiny baby is born in the middle of nowhere to a normal family. And this is the moment that changes human history. Like, I was trying to think of an analogy to make this come to life for us. Like, it's like Jesus was born in an apartment in Fresno. Okay, like, Jesus was born in an apartment in Fresno, and, but, but the empires of the world are freaking out, okay? Like, the United States and China and Russia and the UN and Microsoft and Google and Apple are freaking out because they're threatened because there's a little baby being born in Fresno. And this is the one who's going to save all of us. This is God's plan that a little baby is born in an apartment in Fresno. And people are like, this is the, this is the way? This is, this is it. This is the big revolution. A baby born in an apartment in Fresno. That's the God we serve. That's how God chose to work. And yes, that baby Jesus does save us did save us, amen, and is the reason that we can hold on to the hope, that we can wait and we can hope because this little baby Jesus was born and is the king and did teach us about the kingdom of God and offer hope, offer love, offer salvation to the whole world, and he is the true king. I want to read you a poem by a brilliant Bible scholar named Walter Brueggemann. He wrote a bunch of poems about the Advent season. This one's called In Violence and Travail. We give you thanks for the babe born in violence. We give you thanks for the miracle of Bethlehem born into the Jerusalem heritage. We do not understand why the innocents must be slaughtered. We know that your kingdom comes in violence and travail. Our time would be a good time for your kingdom to come because we have had enough of violence and travail. So we wait with eager longing and with enormous fear because your promises do not coincide with our favorite injustices. We pray for the coming of your kingdom on earth as it is around your heavenly throne. We are a people grown weary of waiting. We dwell in the midst of cynical people and we have settled for what we can control. We do know that you hold the initiative for our lives, that your love planned our salvation before we saw the light of day. And so we wait for your coming in your vulnerable baby in whom all things are made new. Amen. So today, different but similar to the Israelites a couple thousand years ago, we are waiting, we are hoping, we are holding on to hope, holding on to the story, holding on to the kingdom of God. We are being impacted by human empires, which may be military and maybe other kinds of powerful empires that have their own ways, their own good news of what life means and what the good news means and what power means and what life's about. And we're trying to hold on 
to the kingdom of God message that Jesus spoke about from the true king who really does know all, the true king who does know how life works, the true king who offered us salvation and hope and meaning. We're trying to hold on to that king, baby, Jesus, in the midst of a complicated world and complicated empires and power and violence and death and suffering. But Jesus, the one we wait for, the one we hope for, is the true king. We can trust this Jesus. We can have hope in this Jesus. As we enter this Advent season, may God give us patience to wait, and may God give us strength to hope in Jesus and in his kingdom. I'm going to close with one more poem from Walter Brueggemann, and then in a couple moments after that, we'll, we'll return to worship and have communion. This is called The Grace and the Impatience to Wait. In our secret yearnings, we wait for your coming. And in our grinding despair, we doubt that you will. And in this privileged place, we are surrounded by witnesses who yearn more than we do. And by those who despair more deeply than do we. Look upon your church and its pastors in this season of hope, which runs so quickly to fatigue, and this season of yearning, which becomes so easily quarrelsome. Give us the grace and the impatience to wait for your coming to the bottom of our toes, to the edge of our fingertips. We do not want our several worlds to end. Come in your power and come in your weakness, and in any case, and make all things new. So together, let's wait for Jesus. Together, let's hold on to the hope that we have in the story and in the hope that we have in Jesus, who is the king of the world. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, I don't understand all of this story. <laughs> and I don't understand why you did it that way. And I don't even understand all the dimensions of what was going on in this story, if I'm honest, God. But I, I love it, and I'm amazed by it. And God, I'm amazed by how you sent Jesus, and you taught us love, and you showed us love, and you offered us salvation in this wild, beautiful story of this true king. And God, I ask today that um, we can keep waiting for you, and I ask today that we can keep hoping in you, and that we can keep trusting in you, and that we can catch a glimpse of this amazing Jesus, God, and just worship and hope. In Jesus' name, amen. But we're going to move into a time of, of communion in a moment, and we have these communion elements. So if you don't have one, you want to raise your hand and Stephanie will try to give you one. But it's, it's an interesting thing to look at the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, and to in 10 seconds transition to honoring the sacrifice, the death of Jesus who gave his life 
for us. So we, we have these simple elements and we have juice that symbolizes the blood of Jesus that was shed for us for our salvation. And we have this little wafer that symbolizes the body of Jesus that was broken for us for our salvation. Let us remember the story and honor the story. And um, I'm just going to say, just, just hold on to that. And whenever you're ready, as we start singing, go ahead and partake of communion. Mm-hmm.